Welcome to the Form Guide, inspiring conversations about mental health and well-being. This week we're chatting to Alistair Banks about baby loss from a father's perspective, grief and caring for our mental well-being through challenging times. So, Alistair Banks, welcome to the Form Guide. Great to see you. Thanks for joining us. And welcome to everyone that's finally joined the live that we struggled to get going. How are you, Alistair? I'm very good. Thanks, Rob. I'm, a, I'm currently a 7 out of 10 today, which is good form, as you know. Fantastic. Good, good to hear that. And what's, what's driving that 7 for you? Um, I, I think probably a mixture of things like good week generally in business. Um, good, you know, Alexa, uh, my little daughter had her first day, always having her first day at school today. Um, so that started the day well. And yeah, just loving life at the moment. So all good. Yeah, good to hear. Yeah, I'm a 7-2, as you can see. Um, and I, I think I'm pleased to be a 7 today because I woke up with a, a pretty killer long COVID headache and I had a pretty poor sleep. But I think that's been offset by um, you know, feeling really positive about work, really enjoying the weather this week. Um, and, and again, feeling pretty connected to my kids, but also glad that they're out of the house uh, back at school as well. So, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I feel you. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> it's all adding up to a seven out of ten yeah. and 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 what would a what would a perfect 10 day look like for you what would be the elements um as part of that oh a perfect 10 day hey um i i always use the term or have the kind of have this word of like content in my mind so you know where yeah. you you look up in the sky and you just feel like everything's everything's kind of perfect like you just couldn't you know couldn't be happier there's nothing no kind of pressures no no worries, nothing holding you back. Um, and things are good, you know, every time you kind of think about something, it's generally a really positive thought, you know, whether it's a new deal you've done with business or something that's happened at home or, you know, Oscar's got a great score in his report card. I, I don't know, just one of those days where everything seems to come together. Um, I, I'll be honest, they're not quite as, as regular as I'd like them to be. But um, but yeah, I mean, 10, 10 we, that's what we strive for, right? Yeah, contentment. It's a lovely word, isn't it? You know, that everything is is in balance. And I think for those of us that experience uh, yeah, regular challenges to, to our mental health, I think balance and contentment and satisfaction and, and even keel are all kind of good ways of describing it, right? I think so. Yeah, I, I definitely think so. Absolutely. So we're going to do the quickfire round and uh, I haven't asked you to prepare for this, but it's a bit of fun to get us going, get us warmed up. So I'm going to ask you a few questions. And if mental health were a something, what would that something be? And it can be the first thing that comes into your head or you think about it for a bit, but you know, whatever, whatever you feel, really. Um, so if mental health were an animal, Alistair, what would it be? Oh, I wasn't ready for this, Rob. Um, OK, <laughs> what would, what, That's the fun. That's the what fun. would it be? Um, mental health. So, uh, I, I mean... It probably depends whether you are asking me if, if you're using the word and the definition of mental health as kind of the the negative side to it, or if you're just saying, you know, what is what is mental health? Um, if it's if it's the kind of the negative side, which I think is the kind of thing, the way that most people look at it, I'll probably class it as like a snake or something, I suppose. Um, 
if it's just the you know I, I tried to explain to people that it's just the same as well not quite the same but you know people should be seeing it's the same as having an illness like breaking your leg or you know doing something like that in the same way but people don't see it that way so yeah hopefully that helps yeah and a snake why, why a snake um it's a bit harsh on snakes really isn't it actually thinking about it but um i don't know just it's one of those things that maybe it comes up and bites you when you don't see it coming um it's a bit i don't know slivery and horrible and yeah i'm not a snake fan as you can tell so yeah yeah i thought I, I like that you know i think it can surprise us it can be hidden away at times yeah. and then it can it can pop out in a in, in, in quite a strong way um and i think you know snakes can be quite beautiful creatures yeah. as well um you know and they're kind of well adapted to their environments and i think yeah, for me, that's the the thing with mental health. It's the it's the broad continuum, and a lot of it will be ill health and struggle, but a lot of it will be joy and positive as well. And I think there's some there's some positive things about the snake, even if you're not not necessarily a snake person. Um, what about if mental health were a colour? What comes to mind? Um, red. Yeah, why red? Um, because. I it's it's bold it's it's kind of strong it's in your face um it's I, I suppose I see it as a slightly negative color maybe as well um although that's odd because I actually quite like red wearing red so yeah maybe it isn't for me I don't know I think it's the bold thing and the strength yeah yeah and so I think red also is, um, I agree with you, it's it's also warning, isn't it? It can be a danger, yeah. a warning sign in nature. So if well, I just flip to, a, I'm not a two out of 10. Um, yeah. But yeah, as an, as an example that, you know, we use that red to signify someone that's needing help or even the three into more of a, a kind of orange. Um, so I'm with you on yeah. that. I understand it's kind of a, a very bold colour of, of perhaps, you know, crisis or warning maybe. Yeah. Um, good ones. So if mental health were a food, Alistair, what comes to mind? <laughs> if mental health were a food cauliflower cheese <laughs> why, why why cauliflower i cheese? hate it i literally hate <laughs> it i just oh it's just it's not it's the food of the devil isn't it it is it is it's just one of uh, no it's, it's probably it's probably loads of people out there going what is he on about but it is because it was a childhood trauma thing for me um i was sent away to a ner- like a nursery when i was younger and um and I remember they gave me cauliflower cheese and it was just the worst experience of my life. And it's always remained with me since then. And I'm, I'm now 42 and still feel that way. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't think I've ever been traumatised by uh, cauliflower cheese, but I, I, I've i probably been mildly offended by it at times. And I think a good cauliflower cheese is, is hard to get right, you know, particularly yeah, getting the cauliflower the right consistency and the cheese the, the right consistency as well. Um, but it's interesting. I think that a lot of mental health challenges are um, as a result of trauma, and we'll we'll, we'll talk about some of that in a while. Yeah. Um, but I think specifically childhood trauma, and it could be quite mild trauma. Um, so I think that's quite a good choice, even though there will be some you know, cauliflower cheese lovers out there who will be up in arms. Yeah, and I, I, I'm, I'm sorry about that, but I'm just not prepared to back down on that one, I'm afraid. But snakes, yes, but <laughs> cauliflower cheese, no. Yeah, yes, that's def- definitely the food that you would yeah. avoid. Um, 
A good one. So if mental health were a song or a piece of music, what sort of things come to mind for you there? Song or a piece of music? Oof, that's a very tough one. I don't... So it's yeah, because I don't think I particularly dislike that many songs or don't want them in my life particularly um so that's why I'm struggling a little bit um I mean mental health conjures up classical music for me for some reason um mm -hmm. and I and uh, but I think that's more because I think I kind of find that fairly calming and I quite like that around the times when I am suffering myself so yeah. yeah it's less of a you know it's not in the same light as the snake and the cauliflower cheese it's more in a light of like that's just what I think up when yeah because I just don't dislike yeah. music particularly I like I like almost every type of music yeah I think that's good you know we, we've we've certainly had people thinking about recovery songs or songs that um as you say are calming and help them through uh, uh anxiety or a challenge um is there a particular piece of classical music that that you enjoy that comes to mind um no not 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 really I mean it's interesting what you just say there actually because that that brings me on to a, a slightly different point which I, I made in a post that I did yesterday about um mental health kind of coping strategies and one of my points in that actually was not classical music at all it was 80s and um and the reason I talked about listening to 80s and obviously we'll come on to my story and stuff like that in a minute but um was because I'm a child of the 80s you know I was born in 79 uh so my kind of informative years between up until kind of leaving primary school I guess when you know you just don't really have a care in the world and and, and it's just fantastic time whenever I go down you know I can still feel like this now and it brings me up even thinking about it is going down on a weekend you know hearing dad playing the radio and it would be like 80s music and just everything that went on in my life then I love that generation so I, I you know when I want to cope with feeling a bit down that's quite often what I'll put on the radio in the car yeah. or in the house and it just immediately brings me up so yeah probably less classical in that percent and, and, and more 80s yeah. Yeah, we should have got you on for season one, Alistair, because we had eighties as our theme music for for season oh, one, you? And, and you got you got you got seventies funk today. Yeah, I did, so yeah. The track the track we opened with uh, was the great uh, Roy Ayers, uh, "Love Will Bring Us Together." Yeah. Um, which is a wonderful piece of music. But, um, yeah, we did have eighties classics in in the first season. Yeah. Um, um, so, if mental health were a holiday destination, where where would it be for you? I mean, Afghanistan probably at the moment. <laughs> I don't not want to go there. Um, no, I you know anywhere like that is obviously a, a destination that is probably one that you you're told to steer clear of. I think is you know is how strongly I feel about it. Um, so yeah. Yeah. So a some somewhere in the danger zone. Yes. Um, uh, and obviously, yeah, I think if we start looking at, at, at territories that are uh, in, in distress, like Afghanistan, that there would be a lot of mental health challenges for, for the, those just, citizens in those. Yeah, I just, uh, I mean, it just beggars belief, doesn't it, what's going on out there at the moment and, and horrendous for those people. And and to some extent, it is kind of relevant to, to the question, really, because those those people haven't got a choice now, have they? You know, they are just being and, th and that's kind of how I feel about mental health. You don't have a choice as to whether you have it or not. You can't just flick a switch and be like, all oh, right, I'm feeling down and now I'm going to feel OK if I just do this one thing. And so, you know, that's what they're going through 
um, unfortunately, at the moment. So yeah, that's probably that's probably actually quite relevant. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, and and if if you were to pick a place at the other end of the continuum that that brings tranquility and, and joy, um, where would that be in the world? Uh, French Alps, without a doubt. Skiing, skiing, skiing down a skiing down a beautiful blue, um, very wide blue, probably backwards. That's my happy place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love it. When you say backwards, you mean the skis going backwards? Yeah, I can ski backwards. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I definitely. Can't <laughs> it took me a while to learn it and a lot of falling over, but yeah, now I can ski almost as fast backwards as I can forwards. Yeah. Um, final one. If mental health were a sound, Alistair, what uh, what sound comes to mind? Um, a really loud foghorn. Yeah. Yeah. Just that uh, you can't really get rid of. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So a very loud warning sound, a klaxon, an alert, a foghorn. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, so I, I can see that that. The, when when you think of the words mental health, the, the place you often you, you naturally go to is that of warning, alert, danger, um, cauliflower cheese. You know, got a trauma, um, and it, it's quite interesting that you know we get a range of some people would see that the negative ne mental health is the struggle and the the stuff that we go through. Others wouldn't immediately go to the French Alps and the um, you know some of the joy, the tranquility. Yeah. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to piece this together. Um, and it's you, this is a challenging one for me. This um, as it, it's it's going to be difficult to fit. But we're in the French Alps. Um, you're skiing down them backwards. Um, I'm going forwards, and I'm falling over a lot. But you've been very patient <laughs> with me. Um, and and we get to you know the bottom of the piece, and we're going to have lunch. And regrettably, they're serving cauliflower cheese. Um, and but it, you know, in a bit of a kind of you know very comforting way. And so it surprises you, this cauliflower cheese, and you do give it a go, but then you order something else. And um, we've got a good selection of 80s music um, that's surrounding us in this restaurant. Um, and, um, you know, you can see there's a lot of vibrances of colours, but there's a lot of red, people in red um, kind of ski gear coming down the, the mountain, which gives you a bit of pause for thought. Um, and then strangely, given it's winter in the Alps, we see a snake just slither across the, the piece. And we think the snake is going to be chopped up by the skiers that are coming down it. But actually, by some miracle, they, uh, they avoid this snake and it goes about its business. I don't know how it's surviving in such a cold climate, but yeah, it is. Um, and, you know, there's, there's, there's a sound coming, a warning sound, a kind of fog on type thing that is, is telling us that there's some bad weather coming in. So we, we need to quickly retire to the chalet for some, some good food that isn't cauliflower cheese. That's the best I can do. <laughs> you worked hard at that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you did. You, you, you challenged yeah. me. So, so Alistair, we're going to have a chat about your story and some of your experiences. But just just tell us kind of what you do for for a living and and your sort of a snapshot of your career in, in business, if you don't mind. Yeah, sure. So um, I, I suppose slightly unusually, I I grew up in Essex um, and went to university in Devon, so in Exeter, um, where I am now. And so I left Essex at the age of about 18, 19, came down here. And then I met two course mates. Uh, I did computer science, met two course mates in 97, 98. Um, 
and it was around the time of the dot-com bubble so boo.com had just gone bust because it sold clothes online which is just crazy isn't it um and we thought well let's start a business doing website design and back then very few people had websites right so half the half the first kind of couple of years uh, probably that I spent uh, my time selling these things I was telling people the internet wasn't going to be a fad and um, the day after graduation we literally set up our business and away we went Um, one of the guys left within about a year and then me and James carried on and we are now 23 years old in business um yeah and we employ just around 20 people uh in exeter probably one of the better known or or more well-respected agencies in the area um because of our time around and yeah and that that's kind of and and i you know i i'm still a director i'm a shareholder of that business i have my kind of slight personal interests in the world of personal branding and um helping entrepreneurs to do and tread the path maybe that i've trodden over the last 20 years as well and and that's kind of what drives me these days is a bit of a passion for that yeah yeah fantastic well you must have seen a lot of change in that time in terms of um you know kind of websites and the internet and how things are done yeah massively and and you know actually ironically now web design is actually a very small part of our business it's probably the smaller part and you know we're much more of a marketing agency so you know we tend to help clients with with um with areas of digital marketing these days and strategy and things like that so yeah, which again, you know, I'm super passionate about. I absolutely love the industry we work in and it's exciting because it changes all the time. Yeah, fantastic. And you, you've kindly agreed to be a, a role model on the forthcoming Inside Out leaderboard. So um, thank you for that. Thank you for um, it's asking me to, to be involved, you know. that's um, No, it's, it's, it's a pleasure and it's great to to recognise role models. I'm delighted that we're, we're going to publish with about 100 uh, role models and, uh, and allies who are all using their stories to make positive change in the world and in the workplaces. Um, but, but talk us through your story, Alistair, if you don't mind, and what, what led you, to, um, you know, to, to be challenged with your mental health personally? Sure. So, I mean, I'm, and hopefully I come across this way on video and, and, and audio, you know, I'm quite an upbeat person, pretty positive, um, you know, a bit of a, I guess, go-getter, you know, you don't, I don't think you start a business at 19, you know, with, with people that are kind of double your age around you trying to sell to those people if you're not that kind of driven personality. So for the first 10 or 15 years of my career, if you want to call it that, I, I didn't struggle at all in any way, really. Um, just always, you know, worked every hour that, uh, I had and whether that was weekends, holidays, um, all sorts of things, you know, and, and really put everything I had into our business and, uh, you know, uh, uh, seeing the rewards of that kind of now. So f- first 15 or so years, no problems really at all. Um, but then I guess probably uh, from maybe years 15 to 20 started to kind of burn out a little bit and realised that you know, maybe as you get a bit older, you're not quite as well, you know, you're not, you don't quite have as much in the tank, maybe as you did when you were younger, um, but still trying to do that and sort of started to suffer a little bit of that kind of burnout um, side of things, had a few kind of anxiety type 
issues as well um, when things were happening that you know weren't quite going to plan with either staff or with with clients or whatever so and this was the first time that that had really happened um, and then uh, in 2018 um, we had a horrendous year so my, my wife and I lost uh, our baby Sophie and this was November 2018 so Sophie when we went to our 16 week scan I think it was we were told that she had something called a hyperplastic left heart which is a um, basically a condition that means that she just couldn't survive outside um, the body outside the womb so um, yeah so unfortunately at week 21 we uh, lost Sophie Liz my wife had to give birth and which is just a horrendous thing to have to go through um and yeah so that was November 2018 and then you know obviously the period of after that grief and everything like that and then in 20 we got pregnant again in 2019 with Charlie around probably March or April I think it was um and just unbelievably when we got to our kind of 16 12 16 week scan again we were also told that Charlie had a heart condition and um, and again, incredibly not linked either to Sophie's, which was just t- too weird to even work out, um, despite like being hit by lightning twice, I guess. And Charlie's condition was such that there was like massive holes in his heart and stuff. So basically, but we thought that he might make it. And um, so we spent the next three to six months in and out of hospital in Bristol. So the, the M5 has become a horrendous journey, really, for us. We just kept going back up and back up because it's children's hospital up there. And um, and then we got full term and we were still full term. I mean, we had some horrendous nights, actually, where we weren't sure whether Charlie was going to make it through the night inside Liz. And then but we just got to the point where they said, right, we're going to do a cesarean did a cesarean um and then charlie passed away about six hours after in our arms so um yeah just horrendous times really and then you know that was 2019 november so we've now got for the rest of our lives 10 days in november where you know we have two anniversaries which is um 10 days apart which is just kind of crazy so we're taking those 10 days off each year to to just be with each other and the family and stuff but but yeah coming out of that so 2019 uh back end of and then obviously coming in back into the business i probably had two months off I, i imagine maybe three and started to really get my feet back into the business again February time in 2020 went skiing and then global pandemic so and we lost half of our business or 40% of our business within week one and you know clients cancelling and pausing and all sorts of things so just you know coming off that coming off two years of personal tragedy into business tragedy and seeing what you've built for 23 years suddenly slipping away it just yeah it just couldn't write it really so um yeah obviously from then on I did I did struggle and um the first I'd say interestingly though the first six months and I think you know you might come on to this question at, at some point but the first six months 
I didn't really struggle because I just couldn't. I had to be strong for everybody. I had to be strong for for Liz for the baby side of things and and the business because of the staff and and you know my co-directors and everything. So really, really yeah, had to be strong. And then I kind of fell apart really, I guess, probably about August last year. Um, August, September last year. So that was my darkest kind of time. And that's when I started to really look out for things that would help help me. Yeah, um, and thank thank you for sharing um, yeah, that, that very personal story. And I'm so sorry for your losses um, and to happen um, in consecutive years at the same time of year. That must be very tough, as you mentioned. And you know, I'm so sorry you and your wife have gone through that. Thank you. Um, I mean, I think it's interesting, isn't it, that you you naturally had to be strong because you 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 supporting your wife, but that it's almost like you've then um not able to kind of support yourself or get the support that you need to to get through it um layering on the pressures of the pandemic and the business do you think that's a bit of a male thing uh, or do you think it's just something you, you you didn't have time or headspace to process in terms of thinking I, i'm clearly going to need some help here um is it a male thing i think an awful lot of people do talk about the male side of things you know the the, the typical kind of stigma of you know you've got to be strong and you shouldn't talk you can you know don't bottle, just bottle stuff up and things like that and I'm sure there is there's definitely an element of that with a lot of people um I I'm when I think back though I'm not 100% sure that Liz was supported any more differently to me um so yeah, I, I, I don't think, I don't really sort of label it with the male-female thing particularly. Um, but I think in, in terms of external support, that is, in terms of internal, like in the family unit and everything, it is definitely a male thing because, you know, Liz naturally felt bits at the beginning and, and you know, seeing that is just one of the hardest things I've ever been through. So I, I, I if I wasn't strong we both would have just completely collapsed and it wouldn't have been, it would have been awful. So I did dig in and then the business happening with the pandemic, again, I just dug in there because I had to. And I think only when started, things started to, to like see some light at the end of the tunnel was when, I don't know, maybe I relaxed or something and, and everything just like, <laughs> I don't know, just literally, quite literally gushed out of me. I don't know not sure yeah yeah i mean i can i can only imagine and i think obviously when when you when you can open up about the these very difficult things that you're experiencing that then allows the the door to to process to heal to get support and and to move forward and what did that journey to to recovery in respect you know i'm not talking about the grief that's a natural thing obviously but in respect of your your mental health and your mental health challenges what did that journey of recovery look like you said you mentioned you were looking at the what the what you needed to do to be well yeah so i mean yeah it it, it is it is quite hard to kind of define this because in the circumstances that i've just outlined there which are you know very unusual um it's hard to know, you know, what's the grief, what's the mental health issues, like, where does that all, where's the lines, you know, are there even lines, I don't know. So 
I think I can only just put it all into one bracket, to, you know, it, it, for, for the sake of this answer. Um, at its kind of very worst, I knew, you know, I was in, I'd literally burst into tears for no reason at all and just feel like there was no point, you know. And so at that point, I knew I needed help professional help from people from somebody from people and and counselors and stuff like that so that was the time where and that was definitely the lowest point where I was like straight away on the internet you know counselors in the local area whoever I could see first phone them up I remember distinctly um really clearly being on the phone to one to the guy actually that I I'm I'm still seeing now literally in bits I could barely talk and him you know just this was this was a call to see if he could help help and um and he's got this guy on the end of the phone just completely in bits crying his eyes out not knowing what on earth's going on so yeah so that was like the worst point definitely um and so counseling or talking therapy or whatever you want to call it has been incredibly useful to get over that um and i'm sure that obviously a lot of that is grief related so so then what I did was I, when I started to, I don't think you necessarily feel better, but I think when I started to feel slightly differently, I, I'm very driven. I really, I don't want this. I didn't want this thing to beat me. So I, I basically just researched almost everything that anybody would do to help mental health. Like, you know, obviously I, and I work in the internet, so I spend a lot of time on the internet looking up basically techniques for, for that. And, and I shared these in a, in a post yesterday on my LinkedIn account. Um, and there's probably about, I'm just looking at it now, there's probably about 13 or 12 or 13 different things. It, everything from finding set routines. So I've got a morning routine now that I use, um, self-help, reading, exercise, um, every type of therapy, massage, acupuncture, fascial stretch therapy don't ask me what it is it's so weird um music mindfulness nature being out in nature gardening journaling home life triggers food and drink like these are all just things that i and every single one of those i've gone into another layer of detail underneath to kind of say right well, how do i get the best out of this you know what do i do um so it's a bit crazy I think if you looked at me from the outside going oh my god what's he doing but like you know everything from having cold water showers in the morning right through to you know putting on a YouTube fireplace in the evening with classical music in the background because it calms you down like literally everything I've done to help me so yeah not one thing. Uh, I think I think that's that's interesting, and um, I, I see this a lot in 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 the journeys to recovery from from people that are, are getting through a mental health challenge. And there's a bit of trial and error required because you know our proactive well-being and and, and what helps us stay well, and aside from professional help and medication if it's required, actually is very very individual. It's very personal. So. I'm a fan of cold showers as well and cold therapy. It, it really it's good. works for me. It's really good. Um, flotation tanks, I, I can't take. I get very claustrophobic very quickly and I have to get out of them. Um, you know, so, but I've, I've worked that out by just going into it with a sense of curiosity to see what works for me. Yeah. Um, I haven't tried the YouTube fireplace and music, but I like the sound of that. Um, but you, you kind of got to play around with things and presumably you then sort of develop this toolkit that you know, okay, if I broadly do these things most of the time, that's going to help me stay well. Is that how it was for you? 
yeah absolutely that and <clears throat> yeah I think you're right you're right like you what I tried to say to myself and I said in this post again was that I didn't want to judge myself or judge anything that I was doing which is why I ended up doing some odd things that I never would have done like acupuncture or fascial um, stretch therapy because you know before I probably would have thought they were a bit kooky and you know uh, they were for other people but actually I was just like no nope, I'm willing to try anything I want anything I possibly can because I do not want to be feeling like this so yeah getting into that kind of don't be judged thing is, is really important um I think the other thing is and 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 this is where I am now in my journey because I'm probably using you know using your app I'm probably uh in the more positive spectrum the majority of the time now which is great um and I do dip occasionally into the kind of slightly you know five and below um but it's it's very it's 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 very rare now actually it's probably only once or twice a month whereas it was literally every week before um so what I use those that toolkit for that you you talk about is if I can, I can feel myself now sort of, I call it spiraling, but I can feel that kind of falling over the edge slightly. And I, it's very hard to describe, isn't it? To people that don't know, but you know, you know that you're suddenly going downhill. And so at that point, what I need to then do is go right, delve into the toolkit and think, okay, what can I do now? You know, cause if you're in a meeting or something, there's not a lot you can do. Right. So, or there are certain things you can do, but you can't just get up and go to the seaside. So but if I can do that kind of stuff, then I, I will do those things to stop myself from getting into a really dark place. Um, so the toolkit for me is literally that. It's a toolkit of like, how do you get how do you get better as quickly as possible? Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. And I want to talk about stigma a bit. And I guess stigma in a couple of contexts. And, you know, with the leaderboard, we are our mission is to help smash the stigma of mental ill health and and make it more comfortable in workplaces in particular for people to talk about their mental health challenges. And I think the the leaderboard and role models such as yourself and others are setting an example that it is okay to talk. Um, but presumably, the, have, you, have you felt a stigma around baby loss as well? Is that something that you've uh, over time um, felt that there is a bit of a stigma and, and a reluctance to, to talk about? How have you, how have you felt with that? Um... It's an interesting one that because I don't necessarily feel like I've seen a stigma when it comes to baby loss, but I do, I, you know, I, what I don't know is I don't know all the people that are maybe saying those kind of things, you know, behind closed doors or whatever, behind that I'm not seeing. So I don't, I don't think so. Um, I think that it was it was really it's slightly ironic actually this story that I remember really clearly about four or five years ago one of my guys in my office I was playing pool with him we've got a pool table in our office nice um and I was playing pool with him one night and I think we were talking about depression for some reason this was before all of this happened to me right so we're talking about depression and I think he was struggling a little bit at the time I remember really really clearly he said something along the lines of yeah but you're the kind of person that never never suffer from depression and laughed you know and like at the time to be completely honest I probably thought yeah maybe you're right like I don't, I'm, I'm not going to suffer from that and um and so you know th three four five years on like having been through this I think now I see it as 
not a duty but like something that I because of my skills you know being able to talk publicly and 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 sharing and having a platform on social media and all these kind of things I really want to kind of raise awareness both locally within my team at optics um within uh the local area of Exeter and Devon but also wider about to break this stigma because every day yeah, and it is becoming less I think but every day there is some sort of story that you you come across I think it was last week I read about sadly about Yeovil Town um, football captain had committed suicide and you know again because he hadn't talked about stuff and you're like oh why is this happening like all the time let's we've got to keep I've got to do this job to allow other people to talk about this stuff as well and I can only say that the positivity that I've got back from people when I do share this stuff has just been overwhelmingly nice, um, which makes me wonder, you know, is there a stigma? I don't know, um, because people do talk. Uh, people just don't seem to be able to talk about it themselves, but I'm not sure whether the stigma exists anymore. I don't know. It's a hard one to answer that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, where mental ill health is concerned, you know, I agree, we do need to keep talking and sharing stories. And it's it's World Suicide Prevention Day on Friday. And um, you know, I think one of the ways that we can help reduce suicides is by checking in with people. Um, it's by, um, you know, really noticing and taking the time to notice people around us when their behaviour might change. But also talking about mental illness and, and making it normalised to discuss when we're struggling with mental health challenges and ultimately that can help people feel more confident in seeking support and that's that's where we need to get to um what, what would you say to somebody uh, and a man you know and again i do want to focus on this from a male perspective but what would you say to a man who um might be experiencing the challenges that you and your wife um, had experienced with with the loss um, of a baby. Um, what would you say to someone going through that at, at, at this particular time? You know, based on how you've, I guess, managed to process, come to terms with. I say you don't recover from that completely. I'm sure, but um, that you you know have gone through that that journey over the last years, year and months. Um. It's very, it's very hard. I mean, I think it's very individual. Particularly, grief is is really individual, isn't it? To to that person. I also think it depends very much on where that person is in the journey as well. So, it, within that first couple of weeks, you, you, I don't think you can say anything to to that person particularly. I think it's, I mean, that first couple of weeks after both, really, we lost Charlie and Sophie was just a complete haze. Um, where if anyone had said anything to me, I don't think I'll remember or be able to do much with it or process it at all. So, but I think after that, there are some useful things to kind of, to, to share. And I, I hate that cliche time heals because it doesn't heal completely, but it does make a big difference. And, and, you know, you can, you can probably talk about that. I think it's, it's about getting support, um, from your family it's about getting support from your friends uh I had a couple of friends and my brother and and family that you know came and spent some time with me we went and spent time um with Liz's parents they took all the burden off us in terms of like you know even the little stuff like the cleaning in the kitchens and the cleaning kitchen and the and the cooking and all that kind of stuff you know you just don't even think about it but 
all of those things. So having a good network around you is really critical. I think being kind to yourself as well. Again, it's a bit cliche, but allowing yourself time to just just get away, like turn off all your notifications on your phone, you know, don't yeah. don't check social media. Um I I don't I maybe I went, I don't know, I don't know if I went too far in, in what I did, but I, I was really open. I mean, I, I sent a message out to both my friends and also on social media as well about what had happened to us because I wanted people to know it was okay to to be okay around me one of the one of the pieces of literature you get when when you go through this is there's a charity called sands which is an amazing charity um and they produce literature that says you know you've lost a baby this is what you're probably going to go through now and you kind of sit there in a hospital reading it and going okay and it's so true you know that people make awkward comments around you they don't know what to say so they just back off and all this kind of stuff um so I think, you know, making sure that you read that kind of information and um, if you can be open with people, because that really helped me, even in my, in, in my business. I remember again, you know, distinctly that when I, the first day that I went back to work um, after Charlie, I, I, I called everyone in the business together around the sofas and I said to them, look, I, I know this is a bit, you're going to feel a bit weird and this is what we've been through and you know the story but this is the whole story and I want you guys to all feel completely okay with with me you know I don't want you to feel like you're treading on eggshells say what you want to say talk about what you want to talk about with me um but I also realize that I'm quite unusual in that respect as well I think a lot of people aren't anywhere near as open as that and I try and encourage people to be open because I think that really helped yeah, I, mean, I think what, what you've done is you've put people around you at ease on, a, on an issue that is very difficult for people to know how to respond to you on. And that takes a level of openness on your side and confidence as well. Um, but I, I, th- I think the, the one that really resonated for me is being kind to yourself on that journey and having no expectations on where you should be at, a, at any particular point, because as you say, grief is very individual and can come um in, in in very different ways for different people but i think you know a credit to you for being so open which i guess then allowed people to be more comfortable and offer the support you you, you know that was helpful to you i think so yeah um it didn't it it, it didn't mean that people were falling over themselves necessarily to want to talk to me about it because no one why would you um because it's just yeah. such an awkward subject but yeah i think it definitely made even if it just made me feel slightly more at ease when I was coming into the office and not thinking oh crap everyone's looking at me everyone's thinking about me you know going through that and all that kind of stuff I didn't I didn't want that so um yeah I think it probably helped me personally and hopefully it helped other people to yeah to resonate with it a little bit better yeah Fantastic. And, and look, you mentioned Formscore. Thank you for being such a, a good supporter um, of, of the app and a, and a, and a regular user, yeah. um, one of our regular Formsters. Um, how, how have you found it useful over the last few months to, uh, you know, to, to build that self-awareness? So, I mean, I think it's an interesting um, phrase that you use because, I, you know, I, I knew this would probably come up as a question and um, sort of thinking about, you know, what would my answer be to this? And, I think there's two really powerful sides to this app 
Um, the first is the ability to know how people are, are feeling around you. So, you know, being, being able to, as you said earlier on, to check in with people. Um, I've had a few of my friends actually who, who've used it where they've fallen, their score has fallen to like a three or a four and I've seen it. It's pinged up on my phone and immediately I've been able to either phone them or text them or something and say, look, are you all right? And some of the conversations that that's got me into are quite unbelievable. And these are with people that I know, you know, I've known all my life. Like I'm friends with from yeah. school, you know, um, yeah. and they've never opened up in the same way that they've opened up there. So I think that's super powerful. I think, but, but interestingly, when I was reflecting on it, the, the most important thing for me that this app has done is given me a mindfulness of myself right and and this is the self-reflection thing I think is that I I absolutely love because I use it every day right you know as well as much as I can and um but the thing I love about it, it tracks you, doesn't it? So it tracks you through the month. You can see where your highs and your lows are. You can see, you know, whether you're down on a weekend or up on a weekend and down on a Monday or whatever it might be. And until I had the app, I, I had none of that back data, that history of, of how I yeah. felt at all. So, you know, I knew that I'd have ups and down days, but I didn't know when they happened or if there was any kind of patterns. And I suppose I'm a bit of a data geek maybe when it comes to this stuff and pattern geek, I don't know, but I do like looking back at that stuff and thinking, well, you know, if I'm always down on a Monday, is that because of work or is it because of, you know, the weekends over? I don't know, but it, seeing those patterns is really important. But I also think that on a more, on an everyday basis, just going to an app, and choosing a number gives you the time for 10, 20, 30 seconds just to think, how am I today? And if I'm a five or a four, I need to do something about it now. And if I hadn't gone to an app to say that, I wouldn't have done something about it, right? So, yeah. but if it's a seven or an eight, I can also equally positively probably think almost like gratitude wise, you know, I'm an eight today. Why is that? You know, what, what is amazing about my life? Oh, yeah, it's that, it's that, it's that. So actually, it works just as well from the positive perspective as it does from the negative. So number one is kind of self-reflection. I, I would have everybody rating themselves on, on that app, um, even if they just got that out of it. But I think the friends thing as well is just, you know, important. Yeah, brilliant. Wonderful feedback. Thank you. And I love that that phrase you used of uh, you know being mindful about yourself. I think that's uh, that's lovely, and I might might just steal. Please, that please do, please do. <laughs> Thank you. So, look, one more question for you. We're we're sort of curating a library of well-being golden nuggets. You know, the one top tip that you would uh, be prepared to share a bit of wisdom around managing well-being proactively. What would be your well-being golden nugget, Alistair? Um. <clears throat> Can I give you two? Yeah. All right. So uh, the, the first one, which I'm sure that will come up time and time again for you, and it, it is because it's just so powerful, but I only really found out about it, I guess, during lockdown was just the power of nature and, you know, not in a tree hugging kind of way, but like just being, being out around trees, around parks, around nature, flying around, you know, uh, around the sea, is is the number one thing for me you know if i'm down like going and sitting on a beach or looking out into the sea or something like that and i have the 
amazing ability to do that where I am in the country, but equally in a park or wherever it would be just as good probably, um, is is the first that's where I go when it's really bad. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's the first thing to say. Um, the second thing is much more of like a, an, a kind of tactical thing, I suppose, which is not checking your phone when you get up in the morning. And I, I mean, uh, you know, I, I read a book recently or last year, I think it was called think like, think like a monk by Jay Shetty. And, um, <laughs> It's a really good book and he and the way that he defines this whole this thing about getting everyone gets up and the first thing they do is check their phone is he basically says would you would you get up in the morning and ask a load of people to come into your bedroom and talk at you in bed like because that's what you're doing right you know you're checking you're getting all your notifications your stream and stuff like that so now I've, I've got to the point where I leave my phone on on the bedside table I still use it as an alarm sometimes but I, I don't look at it I turn the alarm off I get out of bed I go and have breakfast I have my showers I do my exercise and it's only then you know an hour probably after I've got up that I then turn it on and I think that in itself is such a big difference to mental health yeah, I love it. Yeah, I absolutely love it. And it's an easy win, right? Yeah. Anyone can choose to be intentional about when they engage with incoming messages that we're overloaded with. Yeah. So really good one. Thank you so much. Um, so you've been a great guest, Alistair. Wonderful to talk to you. This is the Form Guide, inspiring conversations about mental health and well-being. Um, we've got a, an extra special one tomorrow um, where we're chatting to Sophie Bostock, PhD, who is the sleep scientist, and she's going to give us a, a brief insight into her Round Britain rowing challenge, uh, which she did uh, with the crew. Um, and I'm so impressed with Sophie Alistair that every photo you saw in these sometimes horrendous conditions, she had a big smile on her face. Amazing. So I'm keen to understand uh, how she managed to do that and, and what she learned from that challenge, but also a good chat about sleep. But in the meantime, Alistair, thank you so much. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for having me.